Welcome to the Airshares Podcast with Mavis Gregg and Otis Jennings. Hi, Mavis. Hey, Otis. And hello, listeners. Welcome to the Airshares Podcast. Today's topic, something that triggers a lot of people, mm. gentrification. And we're also going to talk about predatory practices and the intersection of those two. Mm-hmm. This is a two-part series. Yes. It's very important, and we want to dedicate two episodes to talking about this important issue. So Mavis, let's let's focus on Austin, Texas. Okay. okay. Austin is a, a different part of Texas, right? It's a completely mm-hmm. different, politically it's a lot different. I mean, it is, it is the capital of Texas. It also represents a different type of community than most other places. It's a Texas. big tech community, isn't it? It's a big tech community. It's in general considered more progressive than other mm-hmm. parts of Texas. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of important things happen in Texas. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go to Texas. There's a lot of attention in Texas. And the tech scene, in particular, has caused a rapid increase in property values. Yes. Take it away, Davis. Take it away. So, yeah, gentrification and predatory practices have had a huge impact on heirs property owners, which is, you know, of course, what Airshares is here to support, you know, families that own real estate and use it as intergenerational wealth at a place of home. Gentrification can actually accelerate the the issues that heirs property owners experience and put them at risk of losing their property very easily. Let's take a step back. Okay. Define gentrification, or at least in your terms. Doesn't have to be a great definition, but like, what is it? I mean, it's a, it's a process. It is a process. And I think actually the story that I want to share, the story of Austin, will kind of explain what gentrification is. So mm. we're going to go all the way back to 1928. In 1928, the city of Austin had a master plan for the city. And in that master plan, basically created two separate areas. Mm. They, their one area is called the Negro, Negro District. That was in the name, an actual government document, the Negro District. And according to ARC GIS, which is a GIS application, the goal was to reduce the economic burden of building duplicate facilities for whites and blacks. Austinites, is that how you call it? Austinites? And, and, and to reduce racial tension. So the city of Austin created a master plan in 1928 that essentially had two Austins so that they wouldn't have to create separate facilities by having integrated spaces. Mm. And so East Austin became the Negro district and where many African-Americans built their homes and lived their lives for a very long time. I think we know this as separate but equal. So that was 1928. Separate but unequal. Separate but unequal, yes. And and so recently what we've seen happen in East Austin is now there's, I don't know if they have a new master plan per se, but the city has now said we want to revive this area, this East Austin area. We want to invest in the East Austin area. And that has driven up interest People who aren't from that area, primarily more affluent Caucasians, have become interested in the East Austin area and have begun buying real estate and living there and and essentially changing lots of aspects of the community. It's driven up, and this happens anywhere, Mm -hmm. but when I think of gentrification, one of the impacts of that kind of change is the property values go up, property taxes go up. 
things become more expensive and the face and, and shape and, and really the energy of the neighborhood shifts significantly, probably to a point where you don't recognize it anymore. It doesn't look like this place that has been, you know, a community of hardworking African-American families or whatever the, the mm-hmm. group is. I would say East, this what we're learning about East Austin is, is probably an exemplary yeah. of what gentrification is. I suspect too, you know, because I'm sure our listeners are the hairs on the back of their neck are rising. I imagine coupled with this master plan was also a reduction of you know, services provided to that part oh, yeah. of town. Redlining. All of the redlining BS that happens with like loan rates. Yes. Access to loans in general. You know, how often they come and pick up your trash. Like all types of ways of your policing policies, all types of ways in oh, which yeah. they artificially reduce the value of yes. uh, of houses in a particular neighborhood mm-hmm. and disadvantage those people in, 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 that are forced to live there in multiple ways. Right. So at the same time, they're not getting this the same access or the same types of services that folks in the more affluent and less minority areas, mm. they're also not building wealth at the same pace. That's right. And the value of their real estate is not increasing at the same pace, which again, once we get down the road to, you know, to the present, the lower real estate values are attractive to outsiders. But for those who have owned that real estate for a long time, you know, they're doing good just to keep it, mm. you know, to be able to own it. And then another factor which has happened in Austin and happens in lots of cities that have had these kind of separate but equal and not equal areas is highway so infrastructure Mm. so the government has built a highway that even further cemented this separation between east austin and greater austin Um, and that has an impact too because a lot of times those highways those roads are literal barriers (laughs) to access and we've seen that happen here in the city where we live of durham north carolina Mm -hmm. highway 147 went directly through the thriving african-american community and it pretty much disappeared and then essentially 147 and 70 is cutting again through the black neighborhood of east durham so yeah, it's, it's it's problematic, but I guess you know, folks, you're probably wondering why we're talking about East Austin in particular. Well, the reason why I wanted to talk about Austin is because I read this story recently about this family of Valerie Sawyer's. Valerie Sawyer's was an African American woman who built a home in East Austin more than forty years ago and raised her family in this home. It's in East Austin. The house is eight hundred square feet. Um, which, you know, my most recent home was 840 some square feet and I lived there alone. So imagine raising a whole family in 800 square feet. But you know what? Valerie did it. And when she died in 2016, the assessed value, so the tax value of the property was $113,399. This is public record. So I went online and found this information. But Around $113,000 in 2016. And then fast forward to 2021, and the assessed value is 2700 Oh, I can't read. <laughs> $271,000. Otis, you are the mathematician, and I did share with you the information about the tax assessments of this property, uh, Miss Sawyer's property. Tell us about those figures. 
Well, first of all, that increase over a five-year period is about 139% Oof. in terms of the assessed value. Of- and that's just the tax value. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at Zillow, uh, the May 2016 value assessed by Zillow was 176000 And now Zillow tells us it's $383,000 currently. And that's a 117% increase in value. And so, you know, most of you, if you're affluent and you're looking at that, you're like, great, we just inherited this house, it's increased in value. But Often it's the case that that number isn't real to Mm. the people that own it. Right. Yeah. And the article that I read about Ms. Sawyer's um, family in the house is that it does need a lot of improvements and some repairs. And they had been in conversation with some folks about getting those repairs done. But they still considered it home. It still served as their home place. So, yeah, so Miss Sawyers had this home for over 40 years, raised her family. She passed away in 2016. And when she passed away, she had nine heirs. So nine people became owners of this single family home. As what happens in many cases, two of the heirs sold their shares to a third party. And this third party is actually a real estate attorney. I will not call him my peer, a real estate attorney. And he paid all the property ta- the back property taxes, so there were taxes owed, and then immediately demanded payment from the family. Now, Otis, I also showed with you the property taxes for this property. And remember, this is just, I mean, it's not even an acre. But what did you see? So Ms. Sawyer's tax bill in 2016, the year she passed away, was $163. I assume that's, uh, you know, a lot of cities have this. My parents had this when they were older. Mm-hmm that the city has accommodations for older people yes. to reduce their tax burden so they don't have to move. I think that's brilliant. Yes. But what happens is, a year after her death, the taxes increased to $4,250. Wow. Um, which, wow. again, for some of you may not seem like a lot of money, but for, if you don't have 4000 extra dollars no. sitting around and, and you hadn't been anticipating having to pay that, right? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that, I don't think that there was necessarily a loan still on this house. So no. there was no, like, there's no escrow. So, like, the city wants their money, mm-hmm. right? And so they didn't pay it immediately. The next year, taxes went up further to about $4,880. Jeez. And, and and by the way, they didn't pay those taxes immediately. So there was a, a over $1,000 of, of fines Jeez. levied on them. Just for, for that year. For that year, 2019, same story. 2020, the taxes were uh, still $4,800 and there's also a penalty. So this attorney came in and paid roughly, you know, dollars $17, in taxes plus an additional $3,000 in fines. And interest, so he's trying to hit them up for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, mm. and they now this you know the article that I read, <laughs> they did reach out to the attorney. So this is interesting. You know, tax records are public information. 
real estate records are public information, so deeds. So we know that there was a transfer recently where someone in the family transferred the property to this attorney. But when I go on the records, the tax, the Travis County tax collector does not actually list that recent deed, those deeds from those relatives to the attorney. They list some previous deeds, but they don't, they haven't updated to include that. So I haven't been able to track down the deed that goes into the attorney's name. And why I'm mentioning that is that I'm, I haven't yet figured out what the attorney's name is. So I have to do some more digging. But what is clear to me with Travis County records is that it was very easy. And with Zillow, Google, whatever, it was very easy for me to extract information from the story and find the actual property address and think and, you know, use use my legal analysis to see what was at play, but I could not find that attorney's name. So that just adds to the shadiness of this person. But the attorney's attorney said that, um, cause he put the property into a trust. So that's another way to shield, you know, to make it private, mm-hmm. to, to not find out who this person is. But it said that the, the, his attorney said the trust involvement is a part of a workout process that intends to resolve for the benefit of all impacted parties, including all eight co-owners and its neighbors. This is not a unique matter. Real estate workouts such as this are common. However, their property was never actually in tax foreclosure. So really this stranger, this shady attorney, a real estate attorney saw an opportunity and he bought the property, you know, the interest in the property. He paid the taxes off and is setting himself up to become the owner of the property. The article also said that he has done this with other properties in Austin and in San Antonio. So we're going to end there. But in our next episode, I will talk to you about what what will likely happen with this family's property. But listeners, as we always do, at least recently, we ask for your input. Yes. So to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your ability, feel free to tell us some stories that you know about predatory practices that are taking place, even ones that you've been subjected to. And Mavis, how should they reach us? They should find us at airshares.com. So H-E-I-R-S-H-A-R-E-S.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Find us. Tell us your stories. And maybe they're your friends' stories. But we want to know what are some effed up uh, (laughs) things you've seen with your land. That's not funny, but. (laughs) All right, friends. That's the end of this episode. Talk to you next time. Don't forget to sign up for early access to the AirShares app.